for supporting the Fable and Folly Network. Here's another show we know you'll love. I got this really strange email last night. I need to see what's going on with this mystery file. Hey, it's a map of a town called Ocean Bay. Someone sent these images to you for a reason. I'm so lost right now. When was the last time you chose a direction and followed it? I'm going to Ocean Bay. We don't get many tourists this time of year. Ocean Bay is a friendly town, but we're not that friendly. I never sent you an email. I don't even know you. And why exactly are you here? The map is the reason we're here. Maps help when you're lost. Do you know what a trap street is? Trap streets aren't real. They don't exist. Don't trust anyone unless they give you a reason to trust them. I I think he's dead. How could so much damage happen to a human body in such a short period of time? What the hell is going on here? From the creators of Strange Air, this is Trap Street. So maps can have secrets. Yes, maps can have secrets. Follow and hear new episodes of Trap Street anywhere you listen to podcasts. Looking to get out of the ads and back to the story? Fable and Folly Plus is a new way to support the creators you love. The podcast you're listening to right now and more than 60 others can be heard ad-free for as little as $4 a month by visiting fableandfolly.com slash plus. And now you'll start to see Fable and Folly Network shows are offering bonus content to all existing and new supporters. Find exclusive new episodes from shows like Where the Stars Fell, The Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program, and Civilized. Plus, early access to new episodes of Midnight Burger, all still entirely ad-free. Hi, I'm Jen Zink, volunteer audio producer of Nightlight, a horror podcast featuring creepy tales from black writers all over the world. This week, we have a story of revenge in the South. A quick content warning. There is racial violence in this episode, and if that's something you don't want to hear, you may consider skipping this episode. This episode is brought to you by the Nightlight Legion. Special thanks to our newest patron, Lauren. Thank you so much for joining us. Nightlight is 100% listener-supported, so we need your help to keep bringing you new episodes. Just go to patreon.com slash nightlightpod to join the Nightlight Legion and get a shout-out on the podcast. Now, sit back, turn out the lights, and enjoy Sundown Town by Zigzag Claiborne, narrated by William Lett. Sometimes, life was just about enjoying the smell of gasoline without being interrupted by an old man in shapeless coveralls trying his best to act tolerant. You just passing through? The tink-tink of the meter tracked the gallons. Etta exited the car, a woman as cool and casual as the gauzy scarf tied around her neck. A pale yellow dress against even paler olive skin was the only contrast to this gray, dusty town, except for the tableau of her Barnes in the coverall man under the late afternoon sun. Coveralls nodded at Barnes, repeating, You passing on? Lovely country, ain't it? 
said Barnes without looking away from the meter. Kinda out of the way a little bit, but that's all right, said Coveralls, planting himself in Barnes' moment. You just hopping up? I can take care of it inside when you're done. Edo'll get you, Barnes told him, finally turning his face to the man. They tell you you look like that new boy. What's his name? Potier? All the time. Etta leaned into the open window to retrieve her slim purse. Barnes caught the man's eye following. He set the pump back in its cradle and made a show of tightening his gas cap, even kicked a tire for the hell of it. Etta walked towards the dusty storefront. Coveralls didn't seem to get the concept. Best follow the money, Barnes said. Was that? Oh, yes, yeah, y'all probably ready to get on. Barnes clenched his jaw, got in the car, shut the door, and started the engine. The car hadn't emerged onto the highway good before Carter jumped on the phone to grapple. Nobody came through here without Grapple being made aware of it, especially not somebody like them. Grapple's son answered. Where your daddy at? said Carter, squishing a speck of an ant zigzagging across his countertop. He cleaned his thumb on his coveralls. Over to Miss Deckery's helping with that fence before she goes to work, said the crackle-voiced teen. No point trying Deckery's. If she was out back, her husband damn well wouldn't answer the phone. That's what she was for. Tell him call me said Carter. He hung up, sat on his stool positioned to catch the open breeze, and stared at the road feeding into his gas station. Around the bend, Etta laid her hand atop Barnes. You did good. She gave a little squeeze to stop his hand from shaking. Real good. He said nothing. Jaw was clenched too tightly. She understood. He wasn't a man for missions, and there were too many of these towns. She found a place to park in town anyway. I don't know what she is, but she ain't white, said Carter. Form? Definitely, but she sounds regular. Nice shape on her, Carter offered. That's all you ever see anyway, said Grapple. I caught a glimpse in her purse, Carter went on. Lot of money in there. He acts like he's scared of her, said Liz Deckery. Scared? said Grapple. Well, if nothing else, he minds her, said Liz. Thinking they're on the run? said Carter. Grapple laughed. You're in the funnies too much, boy. Might as well say she's a vampire. She's out in daylight, said Liz Deckery. Both of them are, said Grapple. I'm just saying they're odd, Grapple. Don't mean nothing by it, said Carter. Sides which, don't make no sense that a vampire can't be out in daylight, said Liz, her waitress uniform looking odd in this tableau like she was the only one that work actually applied to. You ever see anything yet go up in smoke cause it walked outdoors? Don't make no sense. None of that voodoo stuff makes sense. Flying and changing into bats and being scared of the cross, said Carter. Don't sit up here and blaspheme, said Grapple. And mirrors, she might be a weird color, but let me tell you, ain't no woman put herself together like that ain't got a mirror, said Liz. Lord mercy, it must be Halloween again, Grapple joked. How much you figure she had in that purse? He asked Carter. Even if it was just once, it'd be a good church pot, said Carter. My boy should have given them the official welcome by now, said Grapple. 
and on cue, his sons rounded the far corner and walked toward them. Biggest of them took big steps, slow so folks could respect him. His smaller brothers kept time in his shadow. The porch got quiet till he arrived. You told him? Grapple asked. Big boy nodded. All right, it's on them. What you think? He asked Carter in the group. We gonna have a quiet night? Dinner and a nap for me, but you know what? I can always wake up, said Carter. She ain't seemed too mood, but she got him under control, said Big Boy. Well, she's a vampire, son. Didn't you know? Grapple said with a grin. Big Boy frowned. He hated not being in on jokes. In the restaurant, Etta pulled the rest of the cheap cutlery away from Barnes, lest he bend another utensil. I know this isn't easy for you, she said softly, trapping one of his hands between hers. He tried pulling away. She held. Etta, he said, louder than he'd intended, even though all eyes were already on them, had been the moment the couple walked into the diner after wandering the town for a while, to the moment ago when the welcoming committee walked out. Lower your voice, she said, eyes holding his but at the same time sparking just as angry. There were only two other people seated in the diner and she already didn't care for them one bit. He immediately did so. We're burning through money. We're burning through time. Burning through my patience. I'm getting tired. We will find a place, Etta said. She kissed a fingertip, then smiled and nipped it with a tooth before giving him back his hand. I promise you, a good one. No more driving. That money isn't going anywhere anytime soon. She slid her pancakes to him. Keep your strength up. You need to eat, he said. Later, she grinned and leaned in close enough for a kiss. I like watching you eat. You're such a sensualist. While Barnes wolfed the pancakes, the bell above the door jangled. Barnes immediately looked up, but it was only the original waitress returning. No cigarette odor, so it hadn't been a smoke break. He hadn't paid attention to her before, but now, as she walked past their table, he spotted Liz, according to the old-fashioned tag pinned to her chest. She pretended to be inconspicuous, but kept watch on them no matter where she was in the room. Same as those other two patrons in the dingy diner. It wasn't hard to see that Liz was doubly mad that the exotic woman in the fashionable yellow dress had originally entered alone and ordered two big plates, saying a friend would be joining her in a few minutes. Etta had the air of maybe an actress or a model, so Liz catered to her. Clean silverware, food freshly made and untampered with, two quick plates of pancakes, large glasses of apple juice, country ham flash cooked so the edges got burnt and crispy. Liz brought it all to the ladies' table, smiling a little each time because a tip was a tip. Then just as old Timothy called her to top off his coffee, Barnes walked in, headed straight to the ladies' table, sat, and proceeded to eat. A pin dropping would have startled the hell out of everybody. I'll be right back, Liz had said to Chef. Chef nodded. She'd headed straight for Grapple and his boys. Even Grapple admitted the argument hadn't been pleasant. There'd been a lot of hand throwing in the air, making that yellow dress swing, and the boy scrunching his dark face up against her voice, which never raised, but seemed to cut sharper for that. It was right outside the everything hardware, right after the two of them had been walking around town as open as you please, looking in store windows, laughing those small, pretend careless laughs, not looking away when one of the townspeople gave him a look, a couple hours before sundown. 
couples that laugh, then get quiet, then flash hot were always great theater. But they attracted attention though, which to grapple wasn't that smart. But he watched. Watched from under the brim of his red Petrol America cap which hooded his eyes. He watched from a seat outside the grocery where he usually kept watch on the comings and goings and spoke about the world with folks that needed to hear. He knew other eyes were on him, waiting for a signal. The skinny woman held out her hand. She stayed like that till the man dug in his pocket and handed her a car key. She walked away. The car wasn't far off. Nice car, Grapple admitted. Very nice car. It started, drove off. Black guy stood there, looking for a minute. Then he looked around. A small crowd kept watch. It wasn't a large town, but it did have a park, had benches. Black guy moved off. Sun kept tracking downward, imperceptible to the eye. Barnes decided on a game. For every person who looked at him like they had no idea what to do, a pebble in the hand. Anybody otherwise, pebble down. An hour since she left, no pebbles on the ground. Sunset above was beautiful though, Barnes noted without much appreciation. She'd be back soon. Maybe another hour in this shithole. She'd pull up, give him that knowing smile, and join him for a real dinner. Just as it was getting dark, Grapple stepped to Barnes, who aimlessly jiggled pebbles in his hand. Barnes stood. Two more came from the rear, two at the sides. The two at the back and sides lagged back to see how things went. Next town's about eight miles up. You start walking now, said Grapple, looking off down the road. Nothing wrong with your shoes, is it? Barnes kept quiet. He dropped the pebbles. Grapple raised his voice. The ring tightened. Said ain't nothing wrong with your feet. You best leave this, said Barnes. His voice, calm and even, instantly angered them. One at the back had a bat, other thick rope. The sun was nearly gone. Barnes took a few steps outward. The ring shifted accordingly. He stopped, they stopped. In a flash, he charged the two at the back. The time it took for the scene to become a mass of arms, strikes and kicks, five seconds. Big Boy landed the first real punch, right at the temple. Big Boy knew you didn't punch somebody in the jaw unless you wanted to waste time. Get them in the temple and they go down. Except Barnes didn't. He righted and delivered a glancing blow to Big Boy's chin that left water in both his blue eyes. Between flurries, Barnes counted at least three people watching from a safe distance. A woman, a kid, and another man. Grapple's other sons tried to get his arms. Ollie Grapple got a wrist and was nearly lifted off his feet. Rope his ass, came from Grapple, who knew a fleller when he saw one. Barnes bellowed, you don't want none of this, which frightened the ring into backing a step till they remembered their math. They charged Barnes. Barnes charged them. Someone hit Barnes in the back of the head with a bat. He went down. Wrap his ass up, Grapple ordered, urgency unmistakable in his voice. Boy was strong. Grapple didn't put anything past the strong ones whether they had a gash in their heads or not. Grapple had the scars to prove it. Big Boy and Ollie raised the limp torso. Andy wrapped him up. He ain't dead, Ollie said. The body's breath was warm at his ear. He ain't dead, he repeated. We're gonna take that as the evening's courtesy then, ain't we? Said Grapple, running a quick forearm across his brow. Get word out. About how long? Asked Big Boy. Usual time, said Grapple. He should have left, Liz said to nobody in particular. Y'all told him. He didn't jerk. Not much. Not as much as they were used to. Just 
hung there, and died. Folks hadn't put all that effort into quick mills and torches just for that. Grapple knew of at least three kids present who'd worked hard and fast at their evening chores so they'd be ready when the family left. The man in the tree hadn't even pissed himself, which Big Boy and his brothers relied on to make fun of after the fact. Just died. You can't always call him in your favor, Grapple muttered to the sense of disappointment leeching from the crowd, not looking at anybody in particular. The outer edges had already slowly spread in preparation for dispersal. Nobody ever wanted to be seen as the first one leaving. This was a group thing, had been and would always be. Wouldn't do to take on any aspect of it alone. It was best to murmur, I got that anchorage to till, to let folks know the morning waited on you. Then a wave of such would free up legs and souls and mouths. A few of them always stayed behind though. The torches that vacated the space gave the tree and its clutch of ghost faces at its base their own macabre universe. These were the men who needed pain the most to stay alive. If their wives had hopes, they crushed them. A kid wanted to be contrary, it got slapped right out. Somebody came to town and didn't abide. What about that woman comes back, said Carter. Something wasn't right about her. We got space for a valentine plot, said Grapple, then spit unafraid. Hell, she's the reason they don't mind. Get them thinking airs. It's supposed to rain tomorrow, said Big Boy. Do we bring it down tonight? I ain't trying to do cleanup from a coyote, said his little brother. Big as he is, Bear probably get him, said Ollie. He ain't that big, said Big Boy. He bigger than you, said Ollie. Leave it till morning. You act like rain's a bath, boy, said Grapple, which got the needed small laugh. Then it got quiet. It was customary to take one last look at the body, lock it in memory. This was history here. They had a right to preserve it. Next one that came through town had best pull that fact from the air and remember. I'll get the car when she gets back, said Carter. A general utterance of agreement seemed right enough. They closed ranks on the body, holding their torches up high, leaving them in darkness while the slack, dark face of Barnes captured flickers or stood out in quick relief. Fire at night did things, made shadows act independent, made faces look cartoonishly demonic, and made the demonic become family. What it never did, though, was open the eyes of the dead. Barnes opened his. For the first time in that town, he smiled, teeth as white and biting as snow. All the torches fell, or scrambled. Etta would be back soon for real dinner before the two of them got back on the road. There was more than enough to go around. More torches fell. Very suddenly, it got dark. Thanks again to our patrons for supporting this podcast. Because of your support, listeners around the world get creepy stories in their ears every other week. If you want new episodes every week, the only way for that to happen is to join the Nightlight Legion by going to patreon.com nightlightpod and support this podcast. You can also make a donation via PayPal at paypal.me nightlightpodcast. If you're unable to support us financially, that's okay too. Word of mouth is the next best way to help. Give us a shout out online on Twitter or Instagram at NightlightPod or like us on Facebook.
Reviews are also a huge help, so be sure to leave a few kind words on your podcast platform of choice. Audio production for this episode is by me, Jen Zink. You can find more about me at loopdeloo.com, follow me on Twitter at loopdeloo, or listen to my Hugo finalist fancast, The Skiffy and Fanty Show, at skiffyandfanty.com. And now, to thank you for listening until the end, we have a creepy fact for you. There is a real disease called porphyria that causes its victims to develop severe blisters when they're exposed to sunlight. Without getting into the medical details, it's a disease of the blood that can be inherited genetically or acquired later in life. There is no known cure, but interestingly, some symptoms of porphyria can be relieved by drinking blood. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish.